0: I just didn't have a seat. Sorry I made you stand up there, but I wanted you to get the blood flowing a little bit. It's going to be a long sermon, so we're going to read a lot of the Bible. It's going to be good, I hope. I'm praying. But anyway, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Each year around this time, uh, we get ignited by the fire of Pentecost. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, the birth of the church, and we talk about wind and fire and commotion and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And usually, every church year right after that, we talk about Trinity Sunday. And for me, it's always interesting when Trinity Sunday comes and when I preach on Trinity Sunday because I'm always wondering about how am I going to approach Trinity Sunday? How am I going to preach about the Trinity? And what is it that exactly going on when, when we celebrate the Trinity? I mean, we do that every Sunday, but we kind of do it a lot more on this Sunday because there's a lot to wonder when it comes to our triune God. Are we celebrating our triune God? Are we examining him? Are we seeking to analyze him? Are we trying to comprehend him? Or are we trying to ponder and worship and adore or emulate him? There's so many uh, aspects to our triune God, to who he is. And there's so many limitations on our side as human beings to understand God. There's so many opportunities for us to consider. And in all of it, it's awesome and it's humbling and it's frustrating and exciting all at once. But the thing that's sort of been resonating with me over the past few months as I've been thinking about God I've been listening to teachers and reading the word and seeking out who God is. The the thing that has been kind of speaking to my heart over and over is really two things, which is actually just one thing. But it has to do with, one, the bigness of God and yet also the smallness. How big he is and at the same time, how small he can get. In theological terms, we call that the transcendence of God and the imminence of God his otherworldliness, and his this-worldly presence at the same time. Now, I think that for us, it's kind of easier for us to talk about and spend time with the God who is with us, who is for us, who is here, who is in our midst. But that transcendent part of God, the bigness of God, the, the mystery of God, the otherworldliness of God... The beyond our imagination part of God and beyond our intellect and beyond even our emotional capabilities, that part of God, that type of God, for some reason, in America, we waver from that. We walk away from that. We hide from that. We don't want to spend too much time there. And I'm not sure exactly why. This past Thursday night, I was driving home from church, I think, or something. I was going over the overpass on the Fairhaven there, over the 55 freeway. It's one of the, the mountains we have here in Southern California. <laughs> and as I was cresting the summit in my car, there I saw the moon. I don't know if anybody saw it that night. I think it was Thursday night. It was just did you guys see it, it was huge. It was just awesome, kind of over the saddleback mountains. And although my car kept going, my heart kind of stopped. It made me pause in my tracks. It made me consider this creator God. Of ours. The moon is 238,900 miles from the earth. Only 12 human beings have ever set foot on the moon on six different occasions. The sun is 93 million miles away. I was doing some research, and I could be wrong on this, but what I read on Wikipedia, and everything's true on there, right? The distance of the observable universe is 5.5 times 10 to the 23. That's 55 with 23 zeros behind it. That many miles is the kind of observable universe diameter. I mean, we don't even understand that. And scientists say that at least 2 trillion galaxies exist in the observable universe, containing more stars, more suns, than all of the grains of sand on the planet Earth. You've heard that one before? Amen, sister. She loves space. Yeah, I like this. Let's get some microphones down here for the front. (gasps) I like that. It reminded me that at times we kind of get so distracted, right? The observable universe is so huge and we can't even go. What's beyond the observable universe? We get so distracted by the cacophony of voices that kind of vie for our attention, small voices. Little voices, irrelevant voices, really powerless voices. A lot of times they're in our own brains. I know I got a lot of them up there and they're all messed up. Our own narrow sightedness. And sometimes we need a moon rising over the Saddleback Mountains to remind us to consider this creation and this very huge, enormous, big God of ours. And so believers throughout the world right now on Trinity Sunday, a lot of them are going back to the beginning, to look at who God is, back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And I'd like for us as a community of God's people to do that with them, to look at Genesis chapter 1, to look at that text. It's going to be a long text. We're going to go through a whole chapter, even part of chapter 2, and we're going to pause and we're going to consider what we learn about God and who he is all along the way. So... Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, if you have your Bibles on your phones, you can do that. We're going to also bring it up on the screen, and we're going to go through this together and look and pause and think about who God is, about our triune God, too. All right, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So in the beginning, we've got God, that's God the Father, and we've got the Spirit hovering over the waters. Where is Jesus? Well, let's take a look. Verse 3 says this. Man, I should have brought my glasses. Can you hold that for me in the front row there? Just kidding. All right. All right. And God said, let there be light. It's up on the screen, so I can read there too, right? All right. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, look at those first three words there, God said. I want you to look out for those words. They're going to recur over and over in chapter one here. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse four, God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. That's day one. Verse 6, and God said, there it is again. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so, and God called the vault sky. And then there was evening and there was morning the second day. Then in verse 9, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so, and God called the dry ground land. And the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruits, seed and according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Verse 14. And God said Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light, we call that the sun, to govern the day. And the lesser light to govern the night, we call that the moon. And look at those words there. He also made the stars. How many words is that? Five words. Five little words. He also made the stars. He just kind of made the stars, the two trillion galaxies with the suns and stars all throughout the universe. Five little words, he made those things huge. He also made the stars. Verse 17 God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 20, and God said, "Let the water teem with living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky." And so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, "Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth." And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth in our own image. There's a plurality to God there. We have one God, but he says, let us, right? Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. And so God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then God said, I give you everything. Every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. This is what the vegetarians claim, that God wants us to be vegetarians right here. Verse 30. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made. What does it say there? It was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And chapter 2, verse 1, thus, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. That wasn't too bad, was it? The beginnings, the origins of us and the creation, and a glimpse into who our triune God is. There's a plurality to God there. Let us make man in our own image. So we see and we know there's one God, but there's more persons to that one God. We saw God the Father. We saw the Spirit hovering. But where was Jesus? All throughout there, it says God said, God spoke, God put forth his word. We fast forward to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 says the word of God is Jesus and that he, that word, was in the beginning and that through him, through the word, through Jesus, all things were made. God said, and it was so. You see, when God says something, it happens. He's the only one, this word creator, this word creation, it's the only word in scripture that says you're sort of creating something, sort of making something out of nothing. He's the only one that can do it. In theological terms, we call it ex nihilo, out of nothing. Because when I say let there be light, I've got to go over and flip off switch, right? When God says let there be light, it is created because his word is an agent. His word is a person. His word is Jesus, the son of God. Who's going on vacation this summer? Anybody going on vacation? A few of you? Uh, we've, we're going on vacation. It's been a while, and we've got a week up in the mountains and hopefully a week on the coast And if you're going on vacation, usually we go on vacations that are beautiful, right? We go to some place that kind of helps us get out of Southern California and all the concrete, maybe to the mountains, maybe to the beach, maybe to an island, maybe to the Grand Canyon, maybe to a river, maybe to a lake. And maybe, maybe at night you'll be able to see the vast sky and all the stars. Maybe you'll be able to sit still in God's creation And listen to the thousand little tiny sound bites that make up its profound silence. God's beautiful creation. A creation that evokes awe. A creation that evokes wonder. And declares the existence of a huge, enormous creator. My friends, I hope that you'll spend time there this summer. It's important to pause. It's important to be silent and to stand in awe of our God, our triune God, who created the heavens and the earth, who created us. We're the only creatures that are created, as it says, in the image of God. The imago dei, we call it. What does that mean? What does it mean that we are created in the image of God? I know that I don't know completely, and I don't think we ever will know this side of the eternal life, but I do know that it's important for us to stop, to pause, to be silent, and to wonder not only that God has created the heavens and the earth, but he has created us. Brendan Manning, I was listening to an old video of him the other day. He's written a lot of books, big Christian theologian speaker. And he said this, he said, you're only going to be as big as your own concept of God. And then he quoted the famous philosopher and mathematician, a French guy named Blaise Pascal, who said, God made man in his own image. And then man returned the compliment. Let me say that again. God made man in his own image, and then man returned the compliment. What he was saying is that we often make God out to be a reflection of ourselves, the broken part of ourselves. We make him out to be as fussy as we are, as rude as we are, as narrow-minded as we are, as legalistic as we are, as judgmental as we are, as unforgiving and as unloving as we often are. But God was not made in our image We took the image of love and community and the three persons of the Trinity whose love for each other outpours to all of creation. We took that image that we were created in and we shattered it and we marred it and we broke it and we call that sin. And amazingly, somehow, beyond our abilities, because if someone ever did that to us, we would seek revenge, we would seek blood, we would seek justice. It would consume our beings. But God the Father sent the word. The same word that said, let there be light, let there be skies, let there be sea, let there be land and trees and the sun and the moon and the stars and animals and humanity. That same word, that same word that was cast forth from beyond the observable universe, And the word, John chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus. Talk about an enormous, huge, otherworldly God becoming small. The baby was born in Bethlehem. He grew to be... A child, he grew to be a man, and upon the cross, he set his gaze and his desire and his existence and his purpose and his destiny. And this same word that created the universe out of nothing was nailed to the cross. And this same word hung from the cross and spoke forth and said, I thirst, and nothing happened. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And nothing happened. It was the opposite of creation. God, the word, was unmade. He was undone so that we could be remade, recreated, so that all the shattered pieces and fragments of the image of God could be restored, renewed, rebuilt by his spirit, whom he poured out on Pentecost, who he's poured out upon us. And on this Trinity Sunday when we stare deeply into the mystery of that huge and mysterious creator God becoming so small for us. I would like to see that we sense and that we yearn and we know that Christianity, Christianity is not a moral code. Christianity is not an ethic. Christianity is not a philosophy of life. But Christianity is a radical and unimaginable love and fire and dangerous Pentecost wind. As a great theologian once said, he said, The thrill and excitement of allowing yourself to be loved by the word, by Jesus Christ, in your brokenness, in your shame, in your sin, in your shattered image. When we do that, the God who is beyond the observable universe, he takes us to the Heavenly Father, and Father and Son, they pour out the Spirit upon us. And we experience a love that we cannot experience anywhere else. And it's a love that creates not nice people with better morals. It creates brand new creations, a love that creates prophets, a love that creates lovers of humanity, a love that creates human torches that are ignited with the burning spirit of the living God whose word has restored his image to us. That image is communal. That image is loving. It's one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who shared in mutual and sacrificial love. It spills out spills out into the world and to all of its creatures. It spills out in the words of Matthew chapter 28 that we were made for a great commission and we were empowered by a great promise. We see this triune God who created the heavens and the earth come alive. Matthew chapter 28, and we realize that we were created and recreated in Jesus and the image of God upon us brings us to a new reality. And at the end, the very last words that Matthew records in his book, his gospel. It says Jesus came to them and said, "Listen to this. Thinking of Genesis 1, thinking of the universe, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Jesus says, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." We've been baptized We've been baptized in the name, we've been washed, we've been cleaned. I mean, there are stains in my carpet and my house and in clothes that I can never get out, right? No matter how much OxyClean I throw on that thing, it's never coming out, right? But here, we have stained hearts, we have stained lives. And we're saying that the the God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the huge, enormous God who is beyond the observable universe has washed us and made us clean in his name, in his power, in his authority, in his existence, in his reality. We've been washed by that triune God. And he's sending us out, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's got a great commission teaching them. That's guiding them, mentoring them, living life with them to observe, to keep everything I've commanded you and the great promise is there. And surely I am with you always, Emmanuel, God with us. I am with you always to the very end of the age. No matter what brokenness, no matter what stain, no matter what sin, no matter what Voices we've been listening to and following after. Jesus says, throw it all away. Hear my voice. I am with you. Our huge creator, redeemer, sustainer, God who is beyond the observable universe comes down to us in Jesus. And his very presence is here this morning. He says, I am with you always.